tonight's message is finding satisfaction in life. And uh, there are many different things in which we can find satisfaction in our lifetime. For me, one of the things that brings me some real deep satisfaction is something that I've only started to enjoy recently. And no, I haven't you know, taken up some obscure hobby collecting some weird thing. No, I haven't done that. But maybe I should have um, considered a career in landscaping because what I like doing is curating a nice little patch of lawn. There is something about uh, me looking after this little piece of grass and making it thrive and survive and, and turn green and all the rest that is really, really satisfying to me. Now, I might be showing my age in saying that, but I don't know what it is. I just really, really love it. And you'll see up there, that was about two months ago on the left, my lawn looked really bad. But I got in there, um, I did a few little bits and pieces, and that is what it looks like uh, just yesterday. Bounced back pretty nicely, right? Pretty proud of that, pretty satisfied with that, right? Um, there is something about this that I just love. Now, I want you to pause for a moment. Just have a think about the answer for you for this question. What is it that brings you satisfaction in life? Have a think. What brings you satisfaction in life? Whether it's a little thing, a big thing, a weird thing. <laughs> what brings you satisfaction in life? We, we try to find, like I said, satisfaction in many different things. Sometimes it's really simple things in life. You know, give me a good book and a cup of tea and I'll curl up in the corner and I'll be set. Just leave me alone. Awesome. Or I'm most satisfied when, you know, I get to throw a line in the sea or go for a surf or go for a walk and stretch the legs out. Or when I get, you know, just this block of uninterrupted time just to scroll on social media. Whatever it is, the small, simple things that we love. Sometimes it's complex, bigger things that we like, um, that we get satisfaction from, like, you know, solving a mechanical problem with our car or you know, going down a good YouTube rabbit hole and learning some really complex theories and things, or engaging in like a three-hour epic quest on Dungeons and Dragons. You guys love that, right? No, no one loves that. Sometimes it's material things that we find satisfaction in. You know, if you like collecting things, um, if you're a vinyl collector or... Um, you know, what else, model cars, then you can find satisfaction in getting these cars and building this collection. If you love clothes, it might be, you know, building a designer wardrobe. If it's tech, then you're going to love collecting all your gadgets. Sometimes we are satisfied by things that give us a sense of progress or forward momentum. Um, there's nothing quite like, and I know a lot of you guys will know this, there's that 3 a.m. feeling that you get when you finish that assignment and your bed is just waiting for you to crawl up and go to sleep, right? That's a satisfied feeling right there. Uh, getting a new job, that gives us a sense of progression or forward momentum. Uh, going on a road trip with your friends, you're journeying somewhere, there's this progression that happens. Working on a project, organising an event, seeing it come out to fruition, all of these things, they all bring us satisfaction in our lives and on differing scales. And look, all these things are, are good things for the most part. We can find satisfaction in not so good things, but the things that we like, they bring us this sense of contentment. They might even help us to grow or to do good or to learn more, and they give us little wins even as we go along throughout our day and our weeks and our lives. But let me tell you, there is one thing about all of these things that I've mentioned and anything that you've thought about to the answer to that question. And that is that the satisfaction that these things bring 
is a temporary one. It's only temporary. When I cut my grass, I'm really satisfied. I'm a happy camper, but that feeling doesn't last. The grass grows back. I have to do my thing again. That sense of satisfaction doesn't stay with me. When you achieve something, you're going to be really proud of accomplishing that, but I guarantee you, before you know it, that sense of satisfaction, at least to a degree, will wear off, and you'll want to look at what the next thing is that you'd like to achieve. Um, what about that dream car that you want to own? You know, you just think, oh, if I just have that car or that house or whatever it is, I'll be set. You know, I'm set for life. I don't have to worry about a car again in my life. But before you know it, you're looking for the next shiny upgrade. And even if it's just these little hits of satisfaction that we get from things like social media that help us feel good, and it's enough for us to keep coming back again and again, even if they're little trickles that are coming in, but yet even those senses of satisfaction do not last. They are temporary. It seems that the words that the Rolling Stones lead singer Mick Jagger said back in 1965 reign true today. Who knows what those words are? There's at least one person. I can't get no satisfaction. And I believe that our problem that we have is we try to find our satisfaction in the wrong things. Now, if this is true, then the question that we want to explore at a deeper level tonight is, how is it that we find satisfaction in life? Tonight we're going to open the Bible. Uh, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God here at church that's been passed down to us, and, uh, and we follow it. And we're going to look at an encounter that happens in the New Testament, which is a lot in, in one of the Gospels, which really accounts or recounts all of the stories of Jesus. And we're going to look at this story um, that Jesus and what he has to say to a crowd of people. And while you might be thinking in your head, I kind of know what the answer is already to the question, I want you to stay with me here because Jesus is actually addressing three different types of people in this passage that we're going to look at tonight. And I believe that every single one of us here falls into at least one of those particular groups. So I think God's got something to say for each one of us tonight. Our passage, like I said, it comes from John. We're going to read it in a minute. But before we do, I want to give you guys just a little bit of a backstory here, because this is important to know before we read the passage. And so Jesus is with his disciples, and he's on a mountainside by a place called the Sea of Galilee, okay? And Jesus has attracted a large crowd of people. These people are interested in him because he's been performing all these signs and people are get beginning to gain curiosity and they're asking questions about this guy. They're saying, who is this guy? What is he doing? What is so interesting about him? And so they've gathered on the side of this mountain to see and hear and witness more of Jesus and what he is up to. But it's getting late in the day and they're getting hungry. And so what happens in a quick, short, uh, sharp snapshot is a boy has five loaves and two fish and he brings it before Jesus. Jesus takes the fish and the bread, he breaks it, gives thanks, and then they go about and distribute that food out among the crowd of people. And it says in this story that there were 5,000 people there that day. Here is another miracle that takes place on the side of this mountain. And when it happens, these people, they are just at the next level of knowing who this guy is, Jesus. And they want to take him and they want to make him king by force. They want him to rise up um, in opposition to Caesar. And Jesus, he doesn't want this at the time. So he steps back, he withdraws, and he goes to the other side of the lake opposite the crowds of the people. 
And this is where we're going to pick up from our reading. And tonight, we're going to have Isaac come and read for us. So let's welcome Isaac as he comes forward. While he's coming, wrong Isaac. Oh, two Isaacs, this Isaac. You, you can both come. You can come next time I'm, I preach, Isaac Munns. While Isaac is coming, the passage um, tonight is from John, if you've got your Bibles there, John chapter 6, verses 25 to 40, and it will be on the screen, but I encourage you, if you've got your phones even, the Bible app, flick it open, you know, highlight, make notes in there, do what you want. John chapter 6, verses 25 down to 40. Thanks, Isaac. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent so they asked him what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you what will you do our forefathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written he gave them bread from heavens to eat jesus said to them i tell you the truth it is not moses who has given you the bread from heaven but is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven for the bread of god is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world So they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of the life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but that I shall raise them up in the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. Thanks, Dave. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it. Thanks. Cheers. Thank you, Isaac. Like I said, um, I think there are three groups of people here that Jesus is speaking to. And I'd love us to have a little bit of a brief look at each of these groups of people tonight. The first group is these people who actually don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that he is the promised deliverer that has been spoken about that is due to come. They don't believe that. They don't believe he's God's only son. These people, they start out this passage by asking, well, what, how did you get to the other side of the lake? And, and what does Jesus say? He says in verse 26 that you're, not looking, you're, you're looking for me not because you've seen the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves of bread and you had your fill. That's why you're looking for me. I've been to many different music concerts in my life. Uh, One very memorable one was seeing Coldplay at the Entertainment Centre quite a number of years ago. Uh, Those of you who know Coldplay, Chris Martin, very charismatic front man, heaps of energy, really great vibe in the room, all the rest. Really awesome band. 
What I remember was there was a whole bunch of people in the crowd who were actually loving this feel-good vibe so much that they wanted to capture it on their phones. And so they're watching the concert and they're videoing or they're filming, uh, they're watching the concert through their phones. They wanted to bottle that memory right there, that sense in the room that, of what was happening in the moment. And anyway, it gets towards the end of the, uh, of the concert and Coldplay finished with this one song. It was from, it was called Viva La Vida. I think it was from the same tour. And this song kind of builds and builds and builds and builds and builds to the bridge. And the bridge is this climax moment where all the words are, are just a whole bunch of O's over and over. But people know it really well and it builds to this moment. And in that moment, everyone in unison together sing out these O's. And what happens in that moment at the end of the concert was, right as they get there, above, in this, from the entertainment centre ceiling, they opened up and hundreds of thousands of paper butterflies, different colour, just started to float down in the middle of the, uh, the whole arena. And what was happening in that moment was everyone, as they looked up and around and were singing together, it was just this beautiful moment of togetherness. It was more than what was happening on the stage. It was everything that was happening around them that was good. And you know what? Those people who were filming, they were actually filming what was happening on the stage. They were looking for, this, for the goodness right there in front of them with Chris Martin. So much so that they missed out on all the other goodness that was happening in the room at the time. And this is what Jesus is concerned about here for these people. He's actually concerned that the people that he's fed the loaves and the fishes to are going to end up like those people watching the Coldplay concert through their phones. What was happening on that stage in that last song was meant to, to lead their eyes and their hearts and everything to this climactic moment where the, everyone was in the room together and they could recognize it and experience it together. And likewise here, what Jesus is doing, he's basically saying, you know, you guys, you're more interested in getting a feed out of me than you are about recognising who it is that I actually am. He's saying that I am the gift that God is actually blessing you with, but you're missing out on that because you're seeking all of these signs. You want to be blessed by these little incremental things in life. He's saying, don't seek the signs, seek the source. Don't look out for those things that point to the Messiah. Use those signs to then recognise where they come from. And then Jesus goes on to say, Do not work for the food that spoils, but rather for food that endures to eternal life. Don't work for food that spoils, but food that endures for eternal life. We've got a staff fridge in the office. One of the great things about coming back from holidays is I don't know about this for you guys, but when you come into your own space after a little break from being in it, you see all these little things that kind of are out of place or that need fixing or that need doing. And so anyway, I come into the, to the uh, staff office on Monday, and not a lot of people are there, and I look in the fridge and there's a couple of things I see. One is like a, a little tub of yogurt, right? It expired back in July. Dave Luthy, I'm looking at you for that one, right? Uh, the other thing that I find in there is this, this tin of avocado dip, right? And this stuff looks like brown cracked concrete. Ash Hicks, I'm looking at you for that one. And then, and then I've got to tell you, the best one was there was like this sushi roll container that, that had this sushi roll in it that, like, honestly, Graham Ray probably left it here from January this year. Um, <laughs> But, but blame game aside, the point is that all of that stuff was, had, had zero value. 
It was all useless. It was all rotten. Its material value was nothing. The food was spoiled. And Jesus here is saying that, you know, what God is offering you is so much greater than this temporary fish and loaves that is going to spoil, that is going to run out. The food that gives them satisfaction, that's only going to last for a moment. But he says that God is the one who's placed his seal of approval on me. This is what Jesus says. And he says that he'll give them this food that endures to eternal life. And so the people then ask the question, well, what is it that we have to do to do these works that God requires? And Jesus says this in verse 29. He says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Don't seek the signs. Don't seek the source. He says, believe in me. These words are really simple. Believe in me. Stop looking to all your detailed commandments and looking to the things you're required to follow. Turn your eyes upon me and look at me and believe in me. And in doing that, what does that belief actually require? Well, it requires a change in their hearts. It means that these people who followed the laws of Moses uh, for most of or all of their lives will have to realize that God, while he was at work, the same God that was at work in, in Moses is the same God that is working here through Jesus on the side of this mountain. I remember that day, it was about, I'm showing my age now, 35 years ago, when I stood up in Sunday school and I responded to a teacher's call to, uh, to put your faith in Jesus. Now, as a six-year-old boy, I didn't have all of the answers to life's biggest questions sorted out. I didn't have my understanding of God, you know, tip-top and in perfect shape. But what I remember is, in my heart in that moment as a little boy, I stood up and, and I believed in my heart of hearts. And I asked God to work in my life, and you know what? He did. He worked. I had this peace, I had this, this softness, I had this sense of confidence that I'd never had before in that moment, and I can remember it. It's one of my few memories that I do have as a young boy. Now, that is my experience. Everyone is different, but the point is, in believing in Jesus, I had this change that came in my heart. So how do we do the work that God, uh, to do the work that God has? It begins in believing in Jesus not seeking the signs or the source, but believing in Him. The next group of people that Jesus is talking to is the people who look for proof. These are the people who are looking for signs. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this week with the, the Victorian earthquakes, um, after I'd, I'd done a check and seen the general reports and realising that thankfully no one was, was seriously injured or killed, the next thing that I had in my mind was, well, I wonder if there's video proof of this. I'd, I'd love to see what a magnitude 6 earthquake looks like so close to home here in Queensland. And so I had a look, and sure enough, there was this cute, uh, collated video with all this different footage of people with their you know, house cameras and everything that's set up recording all day long that captured this um, earthquake happening. And what that did was it helped to reinforce my belief. It helped to reinforce my understanding of that particular event that happened. We live in a world that likes to see proof. When we've got this visible evidence, it really helps us. And these people in the crowd here, they're at this stage where they want to see more from Jesus. These people are saying in verse 30, what sign will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? They want Jesus right there and then to prove to them that he's the Messiah. They're like, show us this sign. That's how you're going to prove it to us. But Jesus tells them, it's my Father in heaven 
who gives you this true bread. And then the people say to him, well, well, Jesus, give us this bread. We want this bread. But what they don't realize is that Jesus isn't just going to make another loaf of bread appear from heaven and feed them. They just don't understand who Jesus is and what this true bread is. He's not going to perform another miracle right now. Instead, here is what Jesus has to say. In verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I'm very confident that there is no one here in this room tonight who has never tasted bread before. Am I right? If you've never tasted bread, put your hand up. Yes, okay, I'm I'm right. And I am very confident that all of you would be able to go to your homes and think about your respective families and even your families that live overseas and, and if you ask them the same question, they would be able to say, I have tasted bread as well. Bread is eaten all around the world. It's a staple in the diet. It's a universal food. It is readily available to all people. Now, it's rare that you and I would choose to go out for dinner tonight after the service and say, let's go and eat caviar. That's a pretty exclusive food, isn't it? We're not about to go out and, uh, and find an expensive restaurant and eat caviar. Not everyone is able to do that. On top of that, Jesus doesn't say, I'm the caviar of life. He says that I am the bread of life. He says that he is the very staple of life itself. And for the people that Jesus was talking to, this is really significant because, you know, bread would have been the main source of nourishment for these people. We've got it so good here in the West. Our culture is one that is very materialistic, let's face it. But even more than that, we like to be both comfortable and we like to be in control. And so when someone gets a a promotion or a job that maybe includes, you know, a custom-built house and a a luxury car and an office space the size of, of most normal houses, we don't question it. And why is that? Because in our society, we've come to associate comfort with success. Our culture points to this good life being wrapped up in a whole bunch of things that help to make you and I more comfortable. Now, I'm not saying that we can't enjoy good things, okay? Hear me out here. But we have come to expect that, oh, if I only own that new car, or if I just get those new clothes or that shiny new iPhone, then I'll be happy. Or if I just, you know, can, can drink Coca-Cola and be like those models on the beach that frolic carelessly in the wind, then I'll be okay. Or if I just, you know, get my foot in the door of a job working in the career I love, if I just get my foot in the door, that's going to lead to the next thing and I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be satisfied with that. Or if I can just find love or get in a relationship sooner rather than later and then get married, you know what, all my problems are going to not go away but I'm going to be in it with someone else and and we're going to be working together and I'm going to be content. Or if I can just keep control over things in my life like my time and my money, then I'll be okay. Let's think back to that question, what is it that brings you satisfaction in your life? You see, you can fill your heart with every kind of material thing, with every kind of relationship that meets all of your emotional needs, 
with every kind of adventure or experience that you can imagine that would just blow your mind in terms of a travel experience. But let me tell you that that stuff will not last. You will hunger again. There will come a time where you will become dissatisfied again. You see, we've been tricked into thinking that, you know, a better job or more money or a, or a cooler friends or another spouse or a new life is what we need. And if we can't obtain these things, what is the worldly response? Well, it's to move on to the next thing, seek after the next thing, the next batch of friends, the next spouse, whatever it is. Or worse still, resort to other crutches, things like drug abuse or sexual immorality or uh, senseless entertainment. And Jesus here is saying that whoever actually comes to him will never go hungry. They will never be thirsty. All these other breads might give some satisfaction, but they're ultimately going to leave you empty. Jesus here is saying that he alone is the one who can satisfy. And having a relationship with the living God is the only thing that is actually going to meet your deepest needs in this lifetime. And why is that? It's because being satisfied in Christ, it serves two purposes. It is for your good and it is for God's glory. Um, I think the catchphrase of Desiring God Ministries, which John Piper heads up, um, their particular catch cry um, catches this moment really well. They say that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Let me say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. How do we become more satisfied in Him? I want to talk to you about this word, delight. How do we delight in God? What does it look like to delight in Him? Well, delighting in God is to see Him as more admirable than anyone else in this world as the most admirable person in the universe. Delighting in God is recognising His character, His words, His actions, His incredible love. It's admiring Him on a grand scale, but it's also admiring Him on a personal scale, recognising Him as someone that you have a personal relationship with, as someone who you can know intimately as your saviour and your friend as well. He's a true friend that will stand with you, guys. And delighting in God is also recognising the gifts that He's given to us and the blessings that He's, he's bestowed upon us. Psalm 19.1, it says that, the, that all of the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above actually proclaims His handiwork or speaks about His handiwork and who He is. We should delight in what God has made in creation. We should recognise those gifts all around us that He gives to us, things like food, things like the relationships we have, uh, the nature and creation, things like sex. We should receive all of these things with thanksgiving and turn them into an opportunity or an expression of worship back to Him. And so throughout our day, every single good thing that happens, give, that gives us pleasure, should be another instance for us to be able to turn that into delight in God. When we delight in Him, that is when He is most glorified in us. You're hearing what Jesus is saying to us tonight. He's the bread of life. He alone can satisfy. So the call for us is to delight in Him. 
find satisfaction in who He is, not just what He can do for us, not just how He can work in our lives, but in who He is. How do we find satisfaction in life? By delighting in Jesus. And then the third and final group of people here that Jesus is speaking to are the people who believe in Him. These are the people who do place their trust in Him as the Messiah and the Son of God. And He says this to them in verse 37. He says that whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. And then verse 39, He says, I shall lose none of all of those that God has given me, but I will raise them up at the last day. What's Jesus saying here? Well, He's saying that those who believe in Him are secure in Christ. Your security is guaranteed when you put your faith in Jesus. That's a great promise for us. You know, God is sovereign. He's in control of all. But we do have a responsibility, and Jesus points out what this responsibility is. He says that, My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. It's so easy for us to look at all the stuff and that is happening all around us and be influenced by this, this wave of misinformation and hysteria and gossip and slander and all the rest. It is so easy for us to get distracted about what is going on, especially in the online space. It is easy for us to become confused and maybe even worried when we turn on the news and see what's happening in our world. How do we find satisfaction in life? Well, we need to look to Jesus. For some of us, this actually might mean turning our full attention towards Him. For others, it might mean that, you know, we've got one eye on Jesus, but we've got one eye over here on this other stuff that's bringing a bit of satisfaction, and you're getting distracted, you're clinging on to that other stuff over here. There's that song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and all the things of earth, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. I want to invite the musos to come back. And this is the challenge for us as we go from here tonight. So we've got to recognise that there are so many things that we come across in life that will have the promise of satisfaction. And look, these things, they might give you something, but those things won't last. The satisfaction that you get in them won't last. In finishing, I want to tell you a story, uh, just a personal one. Um, I had a love affair with sports. I loved sports, right? I, this, this love affair went super deep to the level of it being completely unhealthy in my life, completely unhealthy. There was no balance when it came to the way that I looked at sports and the satisfaction that I was getting from them. It dominated my time uh, being engaged in sports, whether it was um, doing them or, or watching them. It took a lot of my attention. It distracted me on, on a whole nother level. And I actually realised that I, I, there was a stage where I could say that I actually found my satisfaction in sports more than anything else in life. But you know what? Time and time again for me, that satisfaction, it wore off. It drifted away. And I knew that something needed to change in my life. I knew that. And God convicted me. I'll never forget. He convicted me. 
but my love for sport. And what I did, excuse me, I, I did a personal evaluation in that moment. And I was like, how much time do I spend on this? And it wasn't good. I looked at my week and I was like, wow, that is really unhealthy. And so what I did was I took steps. Coming out of that moment, I took steps to limit my time. I took steps to to turn towards Jesus. He was working in my heart in that moment. And I started to turn towards him and his truths. I started to look towards him and trust in his promises. That doesn't mean that I couldn't still enjoy sport, sure, but I had to find this moment where I had to just turn away from that and turn fully to him. And there are still days that I struggle at times. I still love sport. Yeah, I still watch sport. I watched the footy yesterday, like most of you here, all right? And I loved it. But let me tell you, I, don't, I no longer find my ultimate satisfaction in life there. I find it in Jesus. You know, this is true, what he says in verse 25, that those who come to him will never hunger and you'll never be thirsty again. And so maybe tonight, what you need to do, maybe, is take a good step back and and just ask that question on a big scale. You know, what is it that brings me satisfaction in life? And maybe you need to even do a a personal evaluation of of your time. What does a week look like for that thing that brings you satisfaction in your life? And then pray about it. Turn to God. Ask Him, God, is this something that I'm finding too much satisfaction in? Is it, is it stopping me in certain ways from knowing where the true satisfaction is in you? Believe in Jesus. Delight in Jesus. Look to Jesus because he's the bread of life and he is the only one that we're going to find our satisfaction in. Let's pray together, hey? Father God, we want to thank you for just the the amazing ways that you've worked. Lord, we just looked at a little portion of your scripture tonight. But Jesus, we thank you that as you stood on that side of that mountaintop and you said that you're the bread of life, Lord, that those words back then ring as true then as they do now, Lord. This isn't some ancient history story that ends in, in the past, Lord. You're the bread of life yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and for all of our lives. God, I pray for those who believe in you tonight. Lord, would you help them to continue to look to you? I pray for those who maybe have been finding their satisfaction in life in in other things. Lord, would you show us what those things are, and would, would we not feel guilty, but would our response be repentance and turning away from that and turning towards you? That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy those things, maybe, like if it's something like sports, God. But whatever it is, would you be the one showing us that change that comes, comes in our heart. And Lord, for those who, who might not yet believe in you, Lord, I pray for them right now. I thank you that you came to earth, God's only son, that you lived a life that none of us could live, God 
and then you chose to die undeservedly that we might be able to come into your presence that you took on our our sin and our shame and our our dirt and you made it your own God so we could be made clean there's forgiveness in you there is freedom in you Lord would we know that truth this evening God that you are the bread of life and so you're inviting us to come now and to worship you God So will we come into this space delighting in you? We turn our eyes to you. Would we we give it over to you, Lord? You can have it all, every single part of our lives, Lord. Would this song be an opportunity for us to respond and to sing these words out, proclaiming that you are the one that we are looking to to find our ultimate satisfaction in life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.